Grace and mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I chose the Old Testament reading today as the basis for today's message, the greatest revival in history, and I suppose Pastor Jeff and I'd be maybe a few people that understand it. Actually, all three lectionary readings today almost said the same thing. It had to do with repentance and coming back to the Lord. I'm going to start out with this question. What would you do if you had just been vomited out on a beach by a large fish? Well, uh, I'd say maybe the first thing you do is find yourself a hose. And uh, after all, you've been in a fish's stomach for a while. You've got a bunch of who knows what clinging to you. You probably stink a little bit. The second thing is you'd probably, oh, maybe even think of starting a reality show. Uh, do some interviews and share your story. It, you could call it the Jonah Show. You put it on major television networks. Or if you had a, an amazing spiritual experience while in the belly of that fish or while being regurgitated, uh, maybe you could actually start your own church right there on the beach, the Church of the Whales. <laughs> or if you're really an entrepreneur, um, you might start a water park down in Branson and call it Jonah's Water World. Now, if you think about it, a guy who had just spent three days and three nights in the belly of a big fish has lots of opportunities if he really wants to take them. See, a creative type, I think, uh, would use that experience and try to catapult himself to fame and fortune. So what do you do if you're Jonah? You're now standing on the beach covered with yuck. Well, at this point, I think you might want to wait for God and see what God is going to tell you to do next. And in this case, we don't have to wait very long because in the first two verses of chapter 3, it tells us, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah (coughs) a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Now, I want you to note those crucial words here and is that phrase a second time. Go the second time. Time. But understand that not everybody gets a second chance. Now, I know that a lot of preachers, when they preach on this text, when they talk about this story, they'll always talk about how God being the God of second chances. Now, that's not always true. Because if you study your scriptures, you're going to find out that a number of people didn't get a second chance in the Bible. If you don't believe me, ask Ananias and Sapphira. They didn't get a second chance on Stewardship Sunday. Or ask Lot's wife, who (coughs) was told not to turn around and became a Morton salt shaker. See, the fact that God gave Jonah a second chance doesn't mean that he will always give us a second chance to do what we've been called to do. Especially if we disobey the first time. Now, we need to hear this because someone might actually read this story of Jonah and conclude it doesn't really matter if I obey the very first time because, well, after all, God will give me a second chance. Not necessarily. I mean, don't presume on God's grace and make sure you keep the biblical truth in balance. See, God always welcomes prodigals. That's true. The light is always on in the Father's house. That, too, is always true. But Jonah did not know in the belly of that fish what would happen if and ever he got puked out on that beach. See, the only really encouraging truth here is that Jonah's disobedience did not cancel his call. 
See, God's message is this. You want, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you not to mess it up this time. See, the good news is, God did not give up on Jonah. But the bad news is, God still wants him to go to Nineveh. The good news and the bad news. Now, we can learn a number of truths from this. And here's truth number one. God doesn't hold grudges. I don't know if you ever thought about that, because I think there are some people who actually think that God, once he's seen you do something evil, wicked, bad, or nasty, is, is going to hold it against you a long time. But friends, God does not hold grudges. That God is the God of pardons. Uh, he pardons sinners who come to him, even as we did this morning in our words of confession. I mean, he demonstrated his grace by renewing his call in Jonah's life. Here's truth number two. God does not lighten the load. It's not as if God says, well, okay, Jonah, um, I get it. You didn't really want to go to Nineveh, and you were going to head to Tarshish anyway, so why don't you just go there instead? But friends, that's not how it works either. God doesn't negotiate with us when we rebel against his will. I mean, God gives Jonah a second chance to do what he should have done the very first time. And here's truth number three. God doesn't give up. See, God cares more for the worker than he does for the work. I mean, if all God cared about was just that big city of Nineveh, he could have gone and found himself another prophet. He could have sent another preacher. He could have got somebody else. But he wanted Jonah, he wanted Jonah to confront the evil in his own heart and see something about the love that's in God's heart. Here's another principle. You see, God doesn't really need Jonah in this story. But in this story, Jonah desperately needs him. And isn't that the way in our lives, too? God doesn't necessarily need us to do it, but we really need, he really needs, we need to see what he wants to do. So if you think about it, there are many reasons why Jonah could have still disobeyed. I mean, one of them would be fear. I mean, Jonah knew all about the brutality of these Assyrians. I mean, it was common knowledge. All you have to do is read some old ancient records. The Assyrians actually bragged about how mean and vicious and cruel they were. I mean, Jonah might, might have said, I'm not going to go there. I wouldn't last ten minutes. <laughs> I'd start my sermon and they would take me outside of town and who, who knows what they'd do to me. Well, another reason might have been shame. Now, we're a little bit like Jonah in this way because sometimes when we have a great big failure, what happens to us? We have a deep sense of shame that kind of grips our lives. It kind of keeps us from moving forward. We kind of stall. But Jonah might simply have been just too embarrassed to go and do what God called him to do. But there's another third reason that I thought about as I went and studied this text. And it's this. It was kind of this continuing hatred that Jonah actually had of these people in Nineveh. He hated those Ninevites. He hated everything they stood for. As we're going to see a little bit later... Uh, in the, the, his time in the fish did not really change his opinion towards these people. In fact, he just preferred that they would all just die and go to hell. And yet, in verse 3 of our text, what does it say? But yet Jonah obeyed the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, I went and I read this whole, the whole book of Jonah several times this last week, and as far as I could tell, this is the only time in the entire book of Jonah that he actually obeys God. Every other time, uh, he, he just, uh, he, he's, got a, he's got a stinky attitude. Uh, I don't know, I've never heard anybody call Jonah the stinky prophet, but I mean, he, he really was. He's kind of a bum in a way. But at this one point, he actually obeys God's orders. Now, this leads us to another point in this story. 
you don't have to always like what you're called to do, but you have to do it anyway. Kind of reminds you of your first call from seminary, right, Jeff? <laughs> I always remember when, when, when Isaiah is overcome by God's presence and he said, Here I am, Lord, send me, send me. And then he says to God, and if you read on, he says, And by the way, where are you sending me? And God says, Well, to a bunch of people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. And Isaiah says, How long do I need to stay there? And God says, I'll let you know. See, you don't always have to love Nineveh, folks, but you must share God's message. That's God's call in your life. So cut Jonah a little bit of slack here. He cleaned himself off and he headed for Nineveh. And that leads me to another uh, principle in this story, and it's this, that small obedience always beats great intentions. See, sometimes we put, a, uh, put aside all of the important things in life. I mean, what has God called us to do, for example? Go and make disciples of all nations. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will, you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and even in Springfield Lutheran School. And what we do, okay, yeah, I understand that, God, but, but, and we have all of these other things. We have all of these other some days in our life. We dream about what we're going to do when we have more time or when we have more money. Uh, we worry about, you know, we'll get to this when we're not so busy uh, or when the kids are out of school or when we get a promotion or we're called to a different church or we get a, a better job. So we all have big plans. And, and I want you to know something. There's nothing wrong with having big plans, but small obedience beats big plans every time. I just want to say to all of us this way, myself included, don't dream so much about tomorrow that you actually fail to do the things that God has called you to do today. So now we got Jonah. He's ready to head to Nineveh. Each step, taking him and putting him on a collision course uh, between his own prejudices and Nineveh's arrogance and the unlimited love of God. And the text goes on and it says in verse 3 that Nineveh was a very large city. Now, literally, I mean, those of you who go home this afternoon and read this in the Hebrew are going to find out that very literally it says it was a great city to God. Now, how could that be? How could, how could Nineveh be a great city to God? Well, they didn't know God. Uh, they worshipped idols. Uh, Nineveh was bloodthirsty. They were greedy. They were immoral. They were violent. They knew nothing about God. They knew nothing about the scriptures. And yet God says, this city is great to me. And friends, I think the lesson I, I, I learned out of this myself is that that great city is still on God's heart. That God loves the great cities of this world. That's important to know because if you study anything at all, the, the demographers have said that really kind of in the first time in our history, there are more people who are living in the cities than are living out in the small towns or the villages or on the farms. See, God cares about great cities. And if we have God's heart, we need to care about these cities as well. I mean, Nineveh was a place that no reasonable God would go to. But guess what? Being reasonable has nothing to do with it. I mean, our God has a heart that is way, way bigger than our reasonable calculations. He loves the city and his heart goes out to them because to a group of people who want absolutely nothing to do with him. So now Jonah gets to Nineveh. The text says it took three days to walk through it. Now, that might mean it took him three days to walk all over the town of Nineveh or downtown Nineveh. Uh, 
uh, or it took him three days to walk all the way around this big city. And everybody agrees that Nineveh was a big city back in those ancient days. And some scholars say that if you count all of the suburbs around Nineveh, Nineveh might have been a town of about 600,000 people. So Jonah goes and he begins to preach. And what a sermon he preaches. Verse 4, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Wouldn't you like a sermon that short? Eight words in English. Only four words in Hebrew. And to be honest, I have never, ever preached an eight-word sermon. And chances are, I never will. Eight words, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, i got to tell you, that's a pretty depressing message, isn't it? Eight more days, and Redeemer Lutheran will be overthrown. Amen. Pass the plates. Pretty depressing, wouldn't it be? It was just just a message of impending just, judgment, nothing more. Now, can you imagine how this might have been received? Jonah says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The people say, you know, he's not from around here, you know. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Doesn't he talk with a funny accent? 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. He sure smells like fish, doesn't he? I'm not sure how they responded to that message. It's not the way we would do it. Now, if we were going to do this, I can guarantee you how Lutherans might try to do this, or other denominations, we would put together a Nineveh for Jesus campaign. We would hire an advance team. We would get a PR man. We'd put together an ad campaign. Uh, We'd buy billboards scattered around the town. We would do a social media blitz. We would start a Facebook page. We'd get our Twitter feed rocking and rolling. Our Instagram would be smoking. Uh, we would, uh, we would make some, uh, some Nineveh for Jesus t-shirts. Uh, we would do some training. We would set up buses and we would recruit and we would, we would train some counselors. We'd rent a stadium. We'd rent television time, some radio time. We would print the follow-up materials. We would set up a home prayer meeting, a whole system of those. We'd arrange for transportation. We'd rehearse the choir. We'd organize Operation Jonah, and we'd have to raise at least $3 million up front to get us started. That's how we would do it. But Jonah just went to Nineveh and shared his very negative eight-word sermon. Can't you imagine up in heaven the angels say, uh, God, what's your plan for reaching Nineveh? We're sending Jonah. Who else are you going to send with him? No one. Well, what's he going to say when he gets there? Well, he's just going to walk around and preach an eight-word sermon, unless everybody there speaks Hebrew, in which case it'll be four words. Uh, I mean, what is that eight-word sermon? Well, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Uh, Well, God, what's, what's your plan B? And God says there is no plan B. By the way, how do you suppose, why do you suppose Jonah focused so hard on judgment? I think it's that because that's really all he cared about. I mean, he hoped Nineveh would be destroyed in those next 40 days, but say what you will, but no one could ever accuse Jonah of being a preacher of cheap grace. You'd never find him in a large building somewhere down in Texas in a, in a wonderful suit preaching some sort of a prosperity gospel. He was a hard-nosed preacher 
of God's judgment who would be happy to see if God rained down fire and brimstone on that whole city. Now, when you think about it, this is not a really very promising evangelistic approach, is it? But underlying it was a truth that Jonah himself did not yet understand. Nineveh was ripe for an awakening, but no one knew it. Jonah didn't know it. Nineveh didn't know it. But God knew it. See, in verse 5, look what happened when uh, Jonah preached. It said, the Ninevites believed God. Now, it doesn't say that they believed Jonah, but they at least had listened to his message. But they believed God, and that reveals the genuine nature of their faith. Unless we, we doubt this, consider the last half of verse 5, where it says, A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Burlap underwear. That's what they put on. That's pretty scratchy stuff. The king stood up. That's a sign of serious intent. He removes his royal robes, a sign of humility. He covers himself with sackcloth, which is a a sign of mourning. And he goes and sits in the dust, a sign of repentance. Wouldn't that be an interesting way to do confession and absolution at Redeemer? Jeff stands up, takes off his royal robes, covers himself with sackcloth, and all of you sat in dirt instead of nice, comfy pews. And then, what does the king do? He sends out this call for a time of fasting and prayer, saying in verse 9, Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. See, the mighty king of Nineveh actually gets it. He knows that they're guilty, and now he's reckoning on the mercy of an almighty God. But he still doesn't quite know for sure. But he thinks that maybe God will have mercy on him and his city. And even though I don't think he ever heard of this Bible passage, it reflects what we know here in Isaiah chapter 55. And many of you know this verse. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now what happens next is the greatest revival ever. The whole city repents. I mean, just think about that that just for a moment. A whole pagan city suddenly believes in God. It's like saying, you open up up your news feed this morning and said, the entire city of Tokyo confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Or all of Singapore has turned to God. Or that every Muslim in Mecca suddenly became Christian. Maybe we could say it this way. The whole city of San Francisco got right with God. Cleveland bowed its knee and turned to Jesus. Boston got on its knees. Springfield repented. You know, that's, that, that's phenomenal. That's unbelievable. And that is incredible. And yet it happened. The greatest revival in history happened. Why? Because of a one-sentence sermon preached by a prophet who didn't even want to be there, who was hoping for destruction, and who hated the people he was actually preaching to. Now, what are the chances of that happening? Well, without God, the answer is zero. I mean, why did this happen? Well, it was not because of Jonah. 
He didn't even want to be there. So how could this happen in a pagan city like Nineveh? Well, it happened because of two of the greater words in the Bible, but God. But God. See, you'll never know what God will do. You will never know who he will touch next. I mean, Nineveh was ripe for revival. They just didn't know it. But God did. God knew it. In verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion. It did not bring them the destruction he threatened. See, sometimes if you got an old King James Bible, you might have actually stumbled a little bit over this verse because it actually in that verse it says in the old King James, God repented. Not a good translation of that word. A better word would be that God relented from what he was going to do. See, God always intended to show mercy once these people turned from their evil ways. He threatened judgment, which they richly deserved, knowing that he would gladly pardon them when and if they would return to him. Now, let me emphasize the most important fact once again. No one could have predicted what happened in Nineveh that day. I mean, three days before Jonah showed up, business as usual. Two days before Jonah shows up, business as usual. One day before Jonah shows up, business as usual. But on the day that Jonah shows up and starts preaching that negative eight-word sermon, the king woke up in his palace that morning, probably uh, little knowing that by the end of the day he would be in sackcloth, sitting in dust, calling his people to prayer and repentance. Now, when I say nobody knew what was going to happen, I should really add that phrase again, but God. Nobody knew, but God. God knew all along what was going to happen. He was just busy working on that pagan city long before Jonah ever showed up. Let me wrap it up with asking a few questions. How much did the Ninevites know? How much did the Ninevites know that day? Well, I would say not much. But they believed on what they did know. I mean, how much faith does it actually take to believe, to be saved? Well, not much as long as your faith is in the right person. There's another question people have asked me. They said, but Pastor, did this story actually really happen? Well, sure, just read the rest of the Bible. Get to Luke chapter 11 where it says, The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn this generation. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. Now, it's kind of interesting, and this is where the kind of the worm turns and kind of hits a little bit home. This repentance and this salvation apparently only lasted for about a generation. The people who responded to Jonah's words that day were changed forever. But within a generation or so, these same group of people were persecuting God's people again and committing the same atrocities that their grandparents had done years before. This was God's moment, though, for Nineveh, and they responded. Now, let me ask this question. What is the future of America? What is the future for America? How much more time do we have as a country? I mean, sometimes we look at the moral erosion that's taking place around us today, and we think God's judgment can't be very far away. I mean, perhaps we're under judgment right now. We don't really know it. But see, this little study of Jonah chapter 3 ought to encourage us in another way. Maybe we are closer to a great awakening of Jesus in this country than we've ever imagined. But we can't look to the past 
if we can't look to the future what other people are going to be doing, the only generation that we can reach is our own. That's why something like Springfield Lutheran School exists, to reach that future generation. That's the responsibility of every church that I've ever known or been a part of or preached at or taught at all the way around the world. We need to reach our generation and disciple our generation so that they will in turn disciple the next generation. We are only one generation away from having Christianity being extinct. I know it's kind of a harsh message, but friends, we're going to be held accountable for what we've done with the opportunities God's given us in our generation, in our time. It galls me sometimes to hear people say, well, I'm retired now, we'll leave it up to the youngins. I'm going to slow down a bit because I know what I was going to say, I shouldn't say it. Maybe I will. What a rotten thing to say. People say, when are you going to retire? I go, don't use that nasty word around me. Retire is what you do at night and re-enlist is what you do in the morning. Reposition yourself every once in a while. Refresh yourself every once in a while. Take on that responsibility one more time and get out there and work on not only your generation but on the generation to come. I mean, have we stopped believing that God can reach the unreachable? Have we actually said, there's nothing we can do? Have, have we reached that point? Have we stopped believing that God can do the impossible? I mean, do we look around us and say, things are so bad? I mean, it, it's just Nineveh. <laughs> it's hopeless. But, friends, God loves Nineveh. Jesus still touches the untouchable. Jesus still reaches the unreachable. Jesus can save Nineveh. And he calls us to join him on that journey as we talk about Jesus and only Jesus to people. On the screen is a closing prayer. And I'd invite you to join together with me in praying this prayer. Lord, send out your word. Use your people. Make this your moment. Banish our unbelief. Increase our faith. In Jonah's day, give us a heart for this world, especially for the great cities of the world. May we not fail in the task of reaching our generation for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. This time we'll continue our worship as we gather together our tithes and our